passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. Good morning, everyone. Uh, this morning, I um, invite you to open up to Revelation chapter 20. Uh, we've been uh, in Revelation 20 last week. Uh, we're going to be in it again this week. In the next two weeks, we're going to be in Revelation 21 and 22. Uh, we've been working our way through life after death, or what the Bible says um, about the afterlife. And uh, we've, we've looked at what happens one minute after you die. We've looked at our resurrected bodies We've looked at the millennium, and this week we're going to look at an interesting topic, and that is the question of judgment and rewards. And when I say judgment, that might be a terrifying thought, and in one sense it is. But when I say rewards, that can also be an encouraging thought, and it definitely is. And so we're going to look at a a number of Bible passages this morning. Uh, This is very uh, unique for what we normally do. We try to land in a passage and exposit that passage and see what God has for us from that passage. Uh, But this morning, we're going to look at at probably close to 30 different passages of Scripture. And you're looking at your watches right now, and you're wondering, how on earth are we going to get out of here in time? And That's a great question, uh, unless the Lord comes first. And so we're going to spend some time looking at the the, uh, connection, if you will, that we have to find between our obedience and our salvation. One way of asking this question is, what does the Bible say about obedience in this life? And how does that relate to, to our salvation? The Bible tells us that we are not saved by works, but instead we're saved by our faith, by the grace that Jesus has for us. But also at the same time, we see passages of the Bible that say we will be judged by our works. And so how do we balance these two truths from Scripture? That's what we'll be looking at this morning. As I mentioned, Revelation 20 is one of the passages we're going to be looking at. Revelation 20 talks about the final judgment that we see of both believers and unbelievers. Here's what I want to do for us, or here's what I want us to do this morning as we approach this topic. First, we're going to wrestle with this question of the relationship between obedience and salvation. We're going to look at three different and yet complementary different principles the Bible teaches us about our obedience and what our obedience means and what it, what it does for us as believers. So that's the first thing we're going to do. And then after that, we're going to take the final point of those three principles, and we're going to expand on that. And we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about rewards, and we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about judgment. And so that is kind of a roadmap for us this morning. Without further ado, let's go ahead and just jump right in and look at this connection here between obedience and salvation. So when we ask that question, what is the, obe- what is the connection between o- obedience and, and our salvation? It's very clear that the, the Bible tells us this, that our obedience will not earn us salvation. Our obedience will not earn us salvation. Romans chapter 3 tells us this, for by the works of the law... No human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. 
Paul is very clear that it's not through our works that we are justified. Instead, he tells us just a few verses later how we are justified, how we are seen righteous in God's eyes. Romans chapter 3, verse 28. For we hold that no one, that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Ephesians, a passage that we are very familiar with, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that it is grace through faith and not our works that will save us. The Bible is very clear that salvation is not contingent upon what you do. It is not contingent on your ability to be obedient. Instead, what we see from the Bible is that salvation is found in what Christ has done for you. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says this, no condemnation, excuse me, there is, no, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. A passage does not say there is now no condemnation for those who are obedient enough. It does not say there is now no condemnation for those who are faithful enough. It tells us that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are found in Christ Jesus. Your union with Christ in his death and in his resurrection ensures our own resurrection to new life. The Bible is very clear that our obedience will not earn us salvation. But the Bible also tells us another principle about obedience, and that's our second one this morning. While obedience might not earn us salvation, it is also, the Bible is also clear that our obedience is a confirmation of our union with Christ. Our obedience is a confirmation of our union with Christ. Our obedience, our faithfulness will not earn God's work in our lives, but it does confirm that God is at work in our lives. This, uh, later this morning, I encourage you to take a look at Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 21 uh, through the end of the chapter, which I read earlier for us. And it, it, it talks about this, that we are found in Christ Jesus, so be sure to continue to remain faithful and obedient. Peter says something similar at the beginning of Second Peter, Second Peter chapter 1. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Peter says that right after he talks about the importance of developing within our hearts virtues, such as godliness and steadfastness. And he says that when we develop those qualities, we are confirming our calling by God, our election by God, the fact that we are united with Christ. In one sense, the entire book of Hebrews is about this It's all about how we are united with Christ, therefore be obedient. And when you are obedient, it shows and confirms your union with Christ. One passage from 1 John is extremely clear about these two points. The first point, of course, being that we uh, cannot earn our salvation. And the second one being that our salvation is shown or confirmed through our obedience. 1 John chapter 2. Starting in verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 
And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. What the Apostle John is saying here is that when we do sin, we have someone who has died for us, who has forgiven us our sin, who has removed our sin from us. And yet the way that we show or confirm to ourselves and to the world that we are united with Christ is by keeping his commandments, by remaining obedient to what he has said and instructed us, by being faithful to him. Salvation is found in Jesus' work on the cross, but assurance can be found in our obedience because it points us to our union with Christ, that God is the one who is at work, not us. One final point this morning, and this is the one we're going to expand, that is this. We will be rewarded for our obedience in the age to come. For Christians, we will be rewarded for our obedience in the age to come. The Bible is very clear about this, that our obedience, our good works, will not earn us salvation, but they will influence what our life, new creation, will be like. How glorious your eternity will be is dependent upon your life today. I'll I'll explain what that means, uh, because there can be some miscommunication, misconceptions about what I just said, because it can be a foreign concept. But the Bible clearly teaches us that how glorious your eternity will be is contingent upon how you live today. So let's look at five truths that we see from the Bible that talk about the judgment that's awaiting not just non-Christians, but also Christians, as well as the rewards that God has in store for Christians. What does the Bible tell us about judgment and rewards? Well, to, to start off, we, we begin where we left off last week in Revelation chapter 20. Starting in verse 11, we see this picture of judgment. It is right after the millennium. It is right after God has finally defeated Satan and has thrown him into the lake of sulfur. And we read these words starting in verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence Earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. What a terrifying passage. What a terrifying passage to say that at the end of this age, at the end of the world, in the last day, in the day of the Lord, every single one of us will stand before God. And indeed, that's our first principle as we look at rewards and judgment. Everyone, both non-Christians and Christians, will be judged for their deeds. Everyone, both non-Christians and Christians, will be judged for their deeds. 
The moment after the serpent that Satan is defeated finally and completely, everyone who has ever lived will appear before the throne of God. And in that moment, everyone who has ever lived will be called for judgment. Their entire life, your entire life, all your thoughts, all your actions, all your words, they will be weighed against God's just decrees. You might be saying, well, how do we know that Christians will appear before God in the judgment? Aren't they saved by what Jesus has done? Absolutely, we are saved, but the Bible also tells us that we will appear before God in judgment. Romans chapter 14 is a passage where Paul is talking to Christians. 14, starting in verse 10, I'm going to start halfway through the verse. It says this, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. As it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Every single one of us will appear before God's throne. The Bible is clear. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, another passage that is written to Christians, says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Each of us must appear before this judgment seat of Christ. And just like non-Christians, it appears here that we will be judged by what we have done or what we haven't done. Before the new heavens and the new earth appear, every single person will appear before Christ for judgment. But lest we be concerned, remember this truth. This is our second principle, and that is this. God is completely just in his judgment. God is completely just in his judgment. If you have ever been wronged by someone, and they have not been punished. If you have ever been hurt by someone who got away with their sin, this can be good news for us. It can be a source of comfort for us. That even when it seems like the wicked get away with their sin, no one escapes God's final justice. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 tells us this, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or whether evil. It's not just Ecclesiastes. Jesus says something similar in Matthew chapter 12. I tell you, On the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word that they speak. Nothing will escape God's notice. Every word that we speak, even careless words, will be brought up in that final day. They will be accounted for. Every deed that we do, whether it is public or hidden, whether it is good or evil, They will all be answered for. And what's more, it seems like these public, or excuse me, it seems like these deeds, those that are done in private, those that no one knows except for ourselves, it seems, according to Jesus, that these deeds will be made public for all of human history to see. 
all of the angelic courts to see. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 12, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the lights, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the rooftops. Jesus is telling that not just everything will be known to God, but it seems like everything will be proclaimed on the rooftops. Everything will be told in the lights. Your husband or your wife will hear your secret thoughts of your heart revealed. Your children will hear of the times you swore under your breath at them in frustration. Your co-workers or your neighbors or your friends will hear every single time you talked about them behind your back or behind their back. They will hear of every single evil thought that you have ever thought about them. No wonder in the Old Testament that the prophets refer to the day of the Lord as something that is terrifying. Something that we should tremble at the very thought of. But at the same time, God is just and God is fair. It's not just the evil thoughts of your heart that will be known, but also the good thoughts of your heart. Your children will see with clear eyes for the first time ever the hours that you spent praying for them in private. Your co-workers will see the hours that you spent helping them. Hours that you spent volunteering work in your community. Your concern for the poor will not go unnoticed. Your love that you have for the least of these in the world will be known to all. Everything that you have done be made known. And in that day, before the judgment seat, all will be revealed as they truly are. We will not be fooling anyone. The secret thoughts of our hearts, both good and bad, will reveal who we are because all will be laid bare. It's terrifying, but it can also be comforting. You see, because God is just, Because God is fair, not everyone will be judged with equal severity in that day. That's our third principle that we look at under this topic. There are varying degrees of punishment awaiting the wicked. Varying degrees of punishment await the wicked. All sin makes us equally guilty before God. But not all sin is equally punished by God. That seems to be clear in passages like Revelation 20. Why would God judge us based off of according to what we have done, as it tells us in that passage, if it weren't the case? If God judges us based off of what we have done, there seems to be greater and lesser punishment for certain sins. And so, because God is just, God will judge the dentist who rejects Jesus but is involved in philanthropy in his community different than he will judge the mass murderer. 
Jesus talks about this several times in the Gospels. He talks about different levels of punishment for our sin. The surprising or perhaps maybe the, uh, the, the thing that can be terrifying for us is that Jesus is not primarily referring to different acts being judged differently, but he's referring to different levels of knowledge coming into account when we are judged. So Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, And the servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. Jesus says something similar to Pilate in John chapter 19. As he is standing before Pilate, Jesus says this. Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me unless it was given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. This Pilate passage is important because it's somewhat surprising to us. It tells us that the man who is ordering Jesus' execution will be held responsible, but the greater punishment is for the one who handed Jesus over. This is either referring to Judas or to the high priest in that day. You might be saying, well, how can it be that Jesus is referring to betrayal as a greater punishment or a greater sin than execution of the innocent? It's because of knowledge. As a Roman pagan, Pilate had very little exposure to the truth of who Jesus was. He was still responsible, but he wasn't responsible to the same degree as the person who had walked with Jesus for three years. As the person who had waited for the Messiah his entire life. And when he saw the Messiah, rejected him. A greater punishment awaits those who have knowledge and sin anyway. This is a serious warning for us this morning. The more we expose ourselves to the truth. The more we expose ourselves to the gospel. And then reject it. The more liable we will be for our judgment in the day to come. The more judgment we heap upon ourselves. We cannot plead ignorance. I say this facetiously, but with this in mind, it would be better to never attend church than to attend it faithfully but never submit to the gospel. Because when we place ourselves in the knowledge of the gospel and yet reject it, we are more liable for our sin, for our rebellion, for the judgment that awaits us. There are varying degrees of punishment awaiting the wicked. But at the same time, there are varying degrees of blessedness awaiting the children of God. That's our next principle. Varying degrees of blessedness await the children of God. Jesus frequently in the Gospels mentions rewards for obedience 
As he's teaching people, he says that we should focus on our reward in heaven or store up treasures for ourselves in heaven. To be focused on those rewards rather than a payday or a payout right now. Jesus teaches us that there are different degrees of blessedness in heaven. Otherwise, why would, he use, why would he use rewards as a motivation for obedience if that were not the case? You see, the beautiful truth for believers, if you are found in Christ, if you are united with Christ, that when you stand before the judgment seat in the last day, you stand before the judgment seat not for condemnation, but you stand before the judgment seat to see how great a reward you will receive. As all of the secret things of your life are revealed, it is all to determine your reward, the glory that awaits your forever, your life in the new creation. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before it is time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things that are now hidden in darkness, and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his, condemna- his commendation, not condemnation, excuse me, his commendation from God. Paul is saying that in the last day, those who are Christians, God will bring to light every single he- hidden secret thing that you have done. Your prayer life, your consistency in Bible reading, your generosity, your heart for the lost, your heart for the poor, all of these things, your obedience, they will not determine your salvation, but they will determine how much Jesus entrusts to you in the new heavens and the new earth. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw... Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through the fire. I want you to just imagine what this day will be like. Imagine that every single deed of your life will be broadcasted crystal clear for all to see. The good things you have done, you have thought, you have said. The bad things that you have done, that you have thought, that you have said. The public things that you have done, that you have thought, you have said. The hidden things that you have done, that you have thought, you have said. The times where you weren't sure if you did what was right or wrong. In the last day, it will be crystal clear whether it was right or wrong. And all will be able to see. And one by one, the events of your life, the moments of your life will appear before everyone. And they will pass through a cleansing and purifying fire. And those things that were good in your life, like gold, like silver, like precious stones, they will pass through refined and purified as a sign of the reward that awaits you for the good you have done. And piles begin to accumulate saying how much you have done, how big your reward will be or how little your reward will be. And like hay and straw, the evil that you have done in your life 
will pass through and will be burned out of existence. How much of your life will survive the fire? How much of it will last? How much of it will remain? We will never see as clearly as we will then how much of our lives we have wasted on unimportant, vain, wrong things. But as we see those vanities burn away, I don't think we'll feel guilt. We, we may feel regret. But I don't think we'll feel guilt. You see, as all creation sees your sin on display, I think all of creation will simply marvel at the glorious grace that God has for covering those sins. If you have sins in your life that you keep hidden, there are thoughts that you are not proud of, that you would just feel like your world was ruined if your spouse found out what you have thought in the past. In a moment of heated anger, the things that you have thought. If you are terrified about the thought that your spouse will one day hear those things. The good news of this passage is that your spouse will see, but they won't be angry. They will marvel at the glorious grace that covers your sin, their sin, and the sin of every single child of God in that day. What a glorious, beautiful truth that we see that God is a God who rewards us That God is a God who wants to bless us. And he wants to bless us beyond measure. You may be wondering, well, what exactly will we be rewarded for? What are those things that will endure the fire? What is it that contributes to our reward? The New Testament highlights several things. I want to just draw attention to a few of us, a few of them this morning. First is this, faithfulness and persecution. Jesus in the Beatitudes says, Uh, It says this, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So if you find yourself in a place or a time where you feel like you are being attacked for the gospel, if you remain faithful, God will reward you for that. God notices your faithfulness and rewards you that faithfulness. Similarly, in Matthew chapter 6, just a a chapter later, Jesus tells us that spiritual disciplines like prayer, like fasting, other things, all of these, God is noticing, and God will reward us for. Jesus says this at the beginning of chapter 6, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and the Father who sees in secret will reward you. Our spiritual disciplines like giving, 
prayer, Bible reading, fasting, all of these things God notices and God will reward. Another one is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, our financial generosity toward the mission of Christ. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. God notices when we are caring toward the poor, when we are benevolent toward the poor. Luke chapter 14, he said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Jesus tells us that when we care for others, God notices. Peter in 1 Peter tells us this. Our faithfulness in the midst of all types of suffering, not just for persecution, will be rewarded as well. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 that the good things we do, any good work that we do, in our vocation is the primary context that he is referring to, but even more generally in our life, any good thing that we do, God notices And God will reward us for that. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 8. We know that whatever good anyone does, this he will repay, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or he is free. God is noticing. God is watching. And he is ready to bestow upon you any and every blessing upon you for obedience, for good works, for living a life that honors him. What an incredible, amazing thought that we worship a God who would reward his children for so many things. How great the motivation to serve wholeheartedly, to store up more reward. Varying degrees of weight us who are children of God. Final principle is this. You might be wondering what these rewards are. You may be wondering, well, are they material? Are they just a form of honor? Are they crowns? What are they? I think the Bible uh, tells us two things. We will be rewarded with glory and authority. Glory and authority. You see, make no mistake, all will be glorious in the new creation. All of us will be glorious in our resurrected bodies, but some will be more glorious than others. Paul is describing our resurrected bodies, and he says this, There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from stars in glory. The emphasis of that passage or that verse is talking about how there will be different levels of glory awaiting us in the new creation. So Moses, Paul, Esther, John the Baptist, Sarah, these and countless others that we know and far more that we don't know will be far more glorious than we can comprehend. 
Others will still be greatly glorious, but just a little less so. And others will be less so, but still glorious. And on and on and on until we see God reward every single one of us for all eternity, a level of glory based off of our obedience, based off of our faithfulness. We also see the Bible talk about greater authority in the new creation based off of our obedience now. Jesus is telling a parable in Luke chapter 19, and he says this, And he said to them, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, You are to be over five cities. We saw last week that we will reign with Christ in the millennial kingdom. We will see next week that we will reign again with him in the new creation. You might be wondering, how is that territory divided up? And at least one criteria is our faithfulness in this life. Our faithfulness with what we have been entrusted by God. The station of life we find ourselves in. Our talents, our abilities, our finances. Whatever God has entrusted to you, he will use as the measuring stick for your faithfulness in this life to reward you with a level of authority in the new creation. Those who squander much in their life will still be given authority, but it will pale in comparison to those who are greatly faithful with what God has given them. We talk about all of these different things. You might be wondering if there are different levels of blessedness in the new creation, if there are different levels of glory, of authority in the new creation, are there different degrees of happiness? Is it possible that I will not be perfectly happy in the new heavens and the new earth? That I will see someone else and I will have this, this regret in my life for all of eternity that I could have been like that. And instead, I settled for a lesser glory and a lesser authority. Will we be faced with regret for all of eternity by not being perfectly happy? Jonathan Edwards was a pastor in the 1700s. He describes this so well uh, in a sermon it's, it's beautiful. It's powerful. I, I want to read to you these uh, just three paragraphs. So it's a little longer than we normally read here. But just consider his answer to this question. It will be no dampening to the happiness of those who have lower degrees of happiness and glory that there are others who are more advanced in glory above them. All shall be perfectly happy and everyone shall be perfectly satisfied. Every vessel that is cast into this ocean of happiness is full, though there are some vessels that are far larger than others. There shall be no such thing as envy in heaven, but perfect love shall reign throughout the whole society. Those who are not so high in glory as others will not envy them because they are higher, but instead they will have so great and strong and pure a love for them that they will rejoice in their superior happiness. In other words, the, the greater happiness of someone else will make us happy as well 
because our love for them will be so great. Our love for them will be such that we will rejoice that they are happier than we are. And so, on the other hand, those that are highest in glory, as they will be the most lovely, so also they will be the fullest of love, and they will excel in happiness. They will excel proportionally in divine benevolence and care and love toward others. And they will have more love for God and for the saints than those who are lower than them in happiness and loveliness and holiness. The highest among us will have the greatest humility that there is. And the highest order of the saints, those who most know God, will see most of them and most clearly the distinction between them and God and that they are comparatively least in their own eyes and are the most humble. Jonathan Edwards in that passage is telling us, in that excerpt, he's telling us that this society is so great because it's free from sin that all of us will be perfectly happy. The person in the new heavens and the new earth who has the happiness capacity that is the size of a small canoe will have that happiness filled. And the person whose happiness capacity is the size of a vast ocean liner will be completely filled with happiness. All of us will have different levels of happiness, but all of us will be perfectly happy and content because we will marvel at the glory and the goodness of God that he would bless all of us with his rewards. All of us will spend all of eternity giving God glory and being happy and satisfied in his presence because of what he has done for us. And so as we close, just remember this one truth. How you choose to live today determines your blessedness in eternity. How you choose to live today determines your blessedness in eternity. So ask yourself, are you living in light of that unmistakable reality? Do you have the right perspective on life? Are you seeking the blessedness that's awaiting you that is beyond compare? It is the epitome of foolishness to miss out on an eternity of greater happiness for just a few moments of pleasure here. So be a pleasure seeker. Seek your own happiness. But seek the happiness that lasts and not that which burns in the fire. What a great motivation for us. But also, don't just seek your happiness. Seek the happiness of the person right next to you. See, the glory that awaits us is not a zero sum. It's not that there's a finite limit to how much glory God will distribute, and in order for me to have more, that means that someone else has to have less. It is just as easy for God to bless us all in greater measures of authority and glory and reward as it is for him to create the heavens and the earth just by speaking them into existence. The author of Hebrews understood this. He said that one of the reasons why the Christian community is united together is so that we can help one another grow in holiness. It is our great honor to encourage one another to a greater level of reward, a greater level of glory, a greater level of holiness in the age to come. And so as we close, I I just want us all to stand. Please stand. 
And hear this charge. This is from Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 tells us that our calling, our charge is to help one another find a greater sense of glory and happiness for all eternity. The reason why God has you at Crosswinds Church, even if it's just for today, is to remind you that it is your great honor and privilege to spur those that are surrounding you to greater reward, to greater happiness, to greater glory. And it's also because God has placed you here to surround you with people who will help you seek a greater reward and a greater happiness and be more fully satisfied in the age to come. So hear these words from Hebrews chapter, 20, or t- chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. As we draw ever nearer to that day, let us be more and more focused on the glory that awaits us. And let us do all that we can to seek that glory for Christ's sake. How you choose to live today determines your blessedness for all eternity. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would give us eyes to see. We confess that so often it is difficult to see beyond this life. Beyond the immediacy of the pleasures of this broken world. Help us to be true pleasure seekers. Help us to seek the best that this world has to offer by seeking you in this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.